Scripture reading today is going to be from Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 to 7, and 20 to 24. In the Hebrew Bible, it can be found on page 145, beginning at verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give, you to, give to you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Skipping to verse 20. In the future, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws the Lord our God has commanded you? Tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent signs and wonders, great and terrible, on Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land he promised on oath to our ancestors. The Lord commanded us to obey these decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and be kept alive as is the case today. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Gary. I had like one of these note, notes that you're probably in your pew and Ruth was drawing on them and she had insisted that I have this one today. So I have to keep this one. So I'm gonna hang on to this one here. I would encourage you to have your Bibles open to Deuteronomy 6, where we've been for the past few weeks, reflecting on just this, these rich, deep verses. And as we begin, I would like to pray for us. So please join me in praying. Lord, we want to take on the posture of Samuel as you call out to us by your spirit and through your word. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. I pray you would speak to the need in this room, to the wounding in this room. For many of us, we are anxious, we are frustrated, perhaps even scared. We are lost at times. And Lord, yet you speak to us and draw near to us in your mercy. I don't pray just that you speak to us in our need, but I pray you speak to us for the hope you have for us as a church, the hope you have for each person in this room, that you would make it known your love and good news to them, that you desire to rescue them today, and that, Lord, we would be reminded of that. We would be reminded of that truth today as we reflect on our own story of your love with us, and also think about the stories of love in each person, each pew here, each person at home with us right now, that your love is going through all these different places because this is how you work. So may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and pleasing to you. And all God's people said, amen. The past week and a half, so about a week and a half ago, something happened that is truly extraordinary. There is a college campus in Wilmore, Kentucky, where it's called Asbury. And they have a normal chapel service they do every week where the, you know, students kind of come in. I went to a college that had this kind of chapel service. I know how much every single student would want, how all, myself and the students around me would just do everything they can to avoid the chapel service. And that is just like what happened in this chapel service. Students came, 
They had a, a preacher in the morning. It was a pastor in the area. He was preaching on Romans 12. And there he was preaching the gospel. He's talking about the call to sincere love because of how people have been loved genuinely. And the most ordinary service, really, you can actually go and look at this message. You can find it very easily on YouTube. And you look at it and you think, that's just an ordinary message. It proclaims the gospel. Praise God. But the service in every way was, was, was framed as this very ordinary experience. And yet God uses the ordinary and he makes the extraordinary. When the service wraps up, some students are still hanging around singing and praying. And so they decided they would just stay. They just stayed. They didn't go to their classes. They decided they would stay. And they kept singing song after song after song. And soon after that, some people who did go to class came back. And later in that afternoon, the institution, Asbury, they sent out an email saying, everyone's gathering for worship at the chapel. Let's gather to the chapel. And then it continues on and on and on. A week and a half, there has been nonstop worship in this same chapel space. Asbury has a history of revival. I have a few pictures that you can go and see what a revival looked like in the 1970s. And even before that, they've had other moments of revival where people come. These revivals are characterized by a number of the things I want to mention. What happened this past, you know, two, two Wednesdays ago, but also what's happened in the past. There's this grassroots nature to it. It's not coerced top down by power. It's not led by people like me, like a pastor in the church. No, it's led by the people, the students. The students who are so hungry for Jesus, they'll do anything to experience them. They start confessing their sins. They start approaching the throne of grace humbly in praise. This revival happening in Azri right now, we're worshiping at the same time it's happening, is student-led, it's grassroots, it's simple, and it's not about entertainment. I, you know, I hope we haven't tried to entertain you this morning. It's not about entertainment. What it's about is a courageous pursuit of the sacred in Jesus. And so nonstop, a week and a half, they are going, praying, and there's this deep flowing river of humility happening, and everyone goes, I, I'm originally from the s south, so you know, the reality is that like, I know people that drove to Wilmore, Kentucky just to see there, just to be there, just to see it. And I even had a friend of mine who, he, he reached out to me and said, you know, can we go? Can you go? What does it look like? I mean, a friend here in Edmonton, like, can we buy a ticket and go, fly there? Or how long does it take for us to drive there? <laughs> and instead, we decide, you know, this beautiful thing happening in another place, another part of North America, God's at work. But God also wants to move here. God also wants to move here. And that's so we decided not to travel. We decided not to travel, but to actually seek Jesus here. And that would be my invitation to you, seek Jesus here. I want to show you a few tweets. So this is Pete Gregg, who's a big teacher um, for 24-7 Prayer. He was kind of offering some commentary about the revival happening. He was tweeting on Valentine's Day. So I was thinking, this is happening on Valentine's Day. I was busy doing Valentine's Day things, and this is happening. We need repentance and holiness. 
We need the kind of outpouring of the Spirit on campuses that incubate and detonate a new generation to preach the gospel with greater confidence, fight injustice with greater defiance, and transform society with greater intelligence. And then one of the things he says, and I'll go to the, the last tweet there, which is, says, America was built on such awakenings, the UK was saved by them, and they always, always, always begin in precisely this way in seasons of concerted prayer. Another pastor made this observation because he actually drove and went there this past week, and so I was following him, trying to take away his takeaways. And what he said, and this is something that's important for us to receive and focus on today, is that this is Gen Z-led. It's Gen Z-led. So that's generational language for people in their late teens, early 20s. This is, this is young people, young adults, who in this place in their life are doing everything they can to seek Jesus. And they don't need people to tell them to do it. They're doing everything they can to seek Jesus. They're leading it and they're trusting. And just by trusting and pursuing God, he brings a gentleness and stillness to the hearts of people in the room. One of the greater testimonies in revivals like this, if you're ever interested in the history, revival history is amazing. But one of the things that's a big thing to note is not just how long a specific revival happens, not how many people might convert in the moment or how length it lasts. Who knows how long this will last? It's a week and a half. Who knows? It's not about how long it lasts, but it is about the dramatic personal transformation that takes place in the lives of the people participating in it. Many revivals, what happens is the men and women who experience this, don't just, they're not just satisfied and go home full. They stay hungry. They stay hungry, and instead of just like, wow, that was an amazing experience, many of them become missionaries. Many of them take that passion for the good news, and they take it out. They do everything they can to go and expand the good news of, to the whole world. And so I look at what's happening, and people are offering these comments that, no, this is actually changing the hearts of these people seeking Jesus, and everyone's coming around it, and that's the threat of something like this, that something so sincere could become a spectacle for the world. God doesn't want that to happen, nor should we. We should pray that it would be protected, because what, it, what we are about is seeking Jesus, and I want this so badly for the people leading this revival as I want it for us. One of the beautiful things is that not only in a church like this that has different generations, many people in different places of life, in a church like this, we don't, we're not only in the role of, okay, the older people just need to teach the younger people about how to follow Jesus, which we absolutely are about. But the great gift is when you have someone young saying yes to Jesus or a different stage of life, stepping in roles of leadership, and even someone like Isabella today praying for us. The great gift is in the faith being worked in all ages and speaking to us. And that's how this revival has spoken to me. I find incredible joy when people say yes to Jesus. I feel like everyone here, if you love the Lord, when you see someone saying yes to Jesus and, and really pursuing him, it reminds you of the moment of life for you did that. Maybe that switch is on or maybe that switch is not all the way on right now. What does it look like to get back to that hunger? So how does this relate to Deuteronomy 6? So Deuteronomy 6, we've been in this section for the past few weeks because we're wanting to reflect on this thesis that God has called us to live life with the greatest love through the greatest rhythms that he's given us and also with the family he's given us to live with. 
And it connects because I, I look at this revival happening in a completely different part of the continent. And I think it, it tells us how we should hope to grow, to be good stewards of our stories that this Deuteronomy 6 passage is telling us to do and to help point each other to the way. So Deuteronomy 6 is just a review. It was read for us a few verses Melanie touched on last week. And I want to just sum it up very quickly before I touch on the new section of verses and verse 20. So the first thing you should know, Deuteronomy 6 is called the Shema. It's a command by God. It's all about God. This is about God. So I hope that today you hear something about God. The very first verse tells us exactly what this command is all about. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So even though there might be other gods, little g, or other spiritual powers at work in the world, God, Yahweh, the God of Israel, is the God that all different spiritual beings serve. They might exist other ideas or other forces at work in the world, but God is the only true power above them all. And he's united with himself. He's exclusive. He's one. The next thing you should hear about today is that this is all about love. So love is this core principle that's in the Shema. Not that you just hear, which is a call to listen and obey, but also that you love with your life. Deuteronomy 6, 5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. He says this to people, not out of context. He says this to people by saying, no, you are deeply loved by me. You know my love. I have saved you. I've delivered you. So he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. He's saying it to people who have been deeply impacted by love. Some of us, many of us have been deeply impacted by the love of God through him specifically and also through the love of the people around us. And so he's telling this to people who've been deeply shaped by love. So this is about God, this is about love, and this is about remembering with family. This is about family. This is about what happens and how God works. Because God doesn't try, he's not trying to patch together and just keep all these lines open to a bunch of different individuals, have a bunch of phone lines open. He's bringing people together into a community. And that's where some of the language in Deuteronomy really speaks to. Just like the verse 7 says, Deuteronomy 6, 7, impress them on your hearts. This is the way to follow, the way to love and listen to God. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home or when you walk along the road or when you lie down and when you get up. And a few chapters before this in Deuteronomy 4, 9, there's also a good verse that describes what's being, what you're invited to through this. It says, Deuteronomy 4, 9, only be careful and watch over yourselves. Watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen. How easy it is to forget the things your eyes have seen. Forget the things your eyes have seen and let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. There are things that have happened in your life that I pray this morning you do not forget. Some of what I'm talking about this morning is remembering what you need to remember, the good news of what you need to remember for everything that's ahead. God's vision for family is not just, oh, these are the people I was born with. 
but he envisions a family that is a community of people shaped by the love of God, shaped by the body of Christ. They become the body of Christ. And so then we have this vision of with the greatest love through every moment holy and with every generation, generation to generation, this love shared. So how I want to talk about this passage to kind of help us understand it, all the different verses, is I want to use what sometimes you hear in some sermons, I'm not sure if you're used to hearing me use this structure or not, is I want to talk about the problem in this text. The problem that Moses' sermon, this is Moses' words, he's preaching this to the people. The problem in the text, the problem that this is trying to address. And then I want to look at how that problem is our problem. How the problem being trying to address here in Deuteronomy 6 is the problem that we have, that you have. And then I want to look at the grace in this text. The grace that God has built into the fabric of this instruction. The grace that's built in the fabric of this wisdom. And then I want to look at how that grace meets us. Sounds like a good plan? Problem in the text, problem in our world, grace in the text, grace for you and I. So the first thing I want to look at is the problem in the text. And I have the screen up here just to kind of explain how I understand what's happening and why, why does this exist in the Bible, if that makes sense. Why do we have these few verses in the Bible? The problem in the text, as I understand it, is this. That the spiritual forces, there, there are spiritual forces at work to do everything they can to distort and distract from God's covenant love for Israel. There are forces at world trying to do everything they can for the people that we're reading about, to do everything they can to distort what the story is about, and then also to distract the people from it. They're doing everything they can. You know, the context of Israel is like they're surrounded by a bunch of different nations that have different gods that are consumed by evil, they're consumed by violence. And God is doing everything they can. He taps them in the midst of being surrounded this, in this, uh, around all these people and to say, I want to do something different with you. He taps them on the shoulder and says, I want you to be my people and I will be your God. I want you to follow me in ways that will be costly, but I will bless you. I will always be with you. I will fight for you. And that's God's covenant ask. He asks that if they will be his people, he will be their God. You can even see the language of this in the first uh, commandment of the Ten Commandments. The first commandment. It's in Deuteronomy 5, so it's really close to where we are. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. This is Deuteronomy 5, 6, and 7 if you're looking for it. You shall have no other gods before me. That for Yahweh, God, to be the God of this people, he must be their only God exclusively. And that they must completely arrange their entire lives around him. But then you look at what happens in the story of Scripture and you see, wow, a lot of forces are at work trying to pull Israel away from that way of life, doing everything. And even still, it's not just the spiritual forces at work in the other nations around them. It's even just the impact of sin. They're scared. They're selfish. They want things that are far easier, and they actually try to choose other things in place of God because they're sinful. We do the same thing. Choosing other things over God. The Shema, which is these few verses in Deuteronomy 6, appeals to us. It appeals to God's people and says, make God the center of your life. Make his love for you and your love for God the center of everything 
Because all other messages, all other practices, all other hopes, they, they will likely distract from that call. They will likely distort what that story is actually about. The problem in the world. So that's the problem in the text, and I think it connects very easily. I'm gonna re- Basically, when I read it off, you'll recognize I see it as the same thing. Spiritual forces are at work to distort and distract you from God's story of covenant love. Think of all the noise taking place in the world. Think of all the ways that you might be tempted to think, is God really at work in my life in such a personal way as the pastor mentioned on Sunday? Do you really have to follow God in a costly way in order to receive the benefits of that? Or can I just kind of do a Christian way, a Christian life on the side? Do I actually really need to love the Lord with all of my heart, with all of my essence, with all of my existence? Do I actually need to do that in order to actually experience the life of that? God in his mercy and grace gives us a lot more than we deserve. You might feel like you're not all the way in and he might still bless you. But his hope and vision for you to be a full, prosperous, whole person is to be totally and completely in this covenant life, in this story. This story of God building in that love in your life, healing what is broken, because all of us have got tons of things broken. And to actually lead us back into restored relationship with him. It is so easy to be distracted. It is so easy for the message of God's love to be distorted and confused. Melanie talked about disorder, disordered loves last year, last week, last year, week. Disordered loves. It is so easy for us to take something that we think is permissible or something that we think sounds good but actually is not built in anything that we read here. And you think, well, that sounds good. Can that just be true for me? A relativistic sort of way about saying what's good and not good We define our good by the essence of who God is and what he's revealed to us. And he's revealed to us through his word. He reveals to us by his spirit here and now. But that is our good. And the problem that we face is that there are forces at work, sin, the enemy, darkness, you name it, that will do everything it can to distort that message for you. To have you look at your story and say, well, this is a story of shame. I'm not worthy of anything. And that's not the story of love and freedom and grace that God is actually telling through your life. And yet someone lied to you. Something deceived you. So consider the messages in your life, the pace of your life. Consider how is your life centered around the love of God and does that love really matter? Let's look at the grace in this text because There are forces at work to distort and distract us from the story that God's actually telling in his word. And there is incredible grace here to lift us out of it, to help us see that there's something we all have a role to play in combating distortion and distraction and sin. And this is the grace in the text. God directs Israel, this is what he's doing in Deuteronomy 6, he directs Israel to remember his covenant love for them to remember his covenant love for them through storytelling and testimony sharing. He is telling them that the way to combat all the forces around them back then is to tell the story. Tell the story about what I did. And even by the way that it's framed in this chapter, it's basically built upon a trust. 
A trust, when I think about conversations in our church or conversations at the table at my home, a, a trust that's built in relationship. Just look, if you have Deuteronomy 6 open, look at verse 20. Deuteronomy 6, 20. In the future, when your son asks you, so this hypothetical scenario, which is a pretty likely scenario, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, the laws of our God as commanded you? You know, in other words, why do we do all this stuff? I, as a parent of kids, you know, Christy and I, we were coming in today early, and I think, I, you know, every now and then they make comments trying to figure out what the heck we're doing with Sundays. They don't even know what we're doing sometimes. And they, you know, I, I anticipate a day that's coming when they, when they do really ask Christy and I, why do we do this church stuff? Like, why do we come every week? Why, why, do, why are we at church on Sundays? Couldn't we just stay home? Or, no, wouldn't it be easier to stay home? Or is there, can we go to like a, a play place or something like that? That sounds like a lot more fun. And, you know, we all have to anticipate our responses to this. You don't have kids. You don't have to have kids to think about this for yourself. The reality is, what is my answer to that? Why, why do I embrace this pattern of life? Worshiping every week or even my practices daily, praying at different times throughout a day, going to worship, getting together with other people who love Jesus, wanting to worship together and actually, actually lift up the good news together. Why do I use my time for serving? My work and job is busy and enough as it is. Why would I actually want to serve and give over that? Why do I or the people around me commit to learning more about Jesus, to actually studying the Bible, reading books, taking classes, listening to podcasts, if that's what you do? Why do, why do I do that? And the reality is we have to expect this because we need to know the answers for ourselves because ultimately what we do expresses what we value. And what we do ultimately shapes who we become. And so when you ask those questions and you're trying to explain to yourself or the people around you or perhaps your younger kids, those answers really matter. And that's where I find the stories that direct us to who God is are so important. And I, I'll just say this, I, because I, I, I feel the conviction of this as a parent, that, you know, if that parents, you probably won't be asked the questions of why you do what you do why, why, why you go to church or why you try to follow Jesus in your life if you don't actually have a lot of practices about them. If you're not actually living out this life, then people probably won't ask you about it. The question is, do you actually live life and have patterns, patterns in place? Do you actually love the Lord your God with all of your time, with all of the space you have in your life, that whether someone's close to you or a complete stranger to you, they think, what's going on with that? Why is someone living that way? Because our rhythms, they overflow and they say about what we ultimately value. The instruction, going back to Deuteronomy, is it's interesting to hear what you know, Moses preaching a sermon in Deuteronomy. He's preaching it. And this is what he tells to the father. You get asked this. If you get asked this, be ready to tell them this. And that's what he says in verse 21. Tell him we were slaves in Pharaoh in Egypt. But the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes of the Lord sent signs and wonders, great and terrible, they're amazing, on Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out from there to bring us in 
and gives us the land he promised on oath to our ancestors. So what he tells them is to tell them the story. Tell them what I did. Tell them what God did. The answer, it tells everything. It says, give them the context, what was happening previously and why that mattered. Tell them how you experienced God, how God brought about judgment, but he also responded. Tell them about how God revealed his purpose, what he was doing throughout all time in your one specific life, getting you to the promised land. Which then leads to further words about what God has promised. So what did God do? And what are we supposed to do because of what God did? And that's where he starts to talk about obedience. Obedience, which is listening. It's hearing the Lord and following in step with what he's asked us to do. Because that is ultimately how he's promised fullness of life for each of us. Verse 24 talks about it. The Lord commanded us to obey these decrees. So this rules, way of life in this book. To follow these rules, these ways of life, the principles in them. The Lord commanded us to follow these and to fear the Lord our God. So that we might always prosper and be kept alive as is the case today. And we haven't read yet the next verse. So let's read the next verse also. Because verse 25 captures something that's important. And if we are careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God as he commanded us, that will be our righteousness. If we're careful to follow in step with what God has said is good, that will be our righteousness. The Hebrew word there is kind of interesting because righteousness, there's some other Greek words in the New Testament that really kind of lines up well with that. But in Hebrew, it's much more like the plural saving acts. The idea that if you commit to these ways that are about rescue and God saving, that that actually brings you into right attitude and relationship with God. That this way of life, it actually forms and shapes you and brings you into this way of life. And so right now what I want to say is this, because we are not formed, we're not brains on the sticks. There's a, there's a famous theologian, philosopher that says that. Um, the key to passing down this knowledge about who God is and how to live this life is not like a data transfer. If you play video games, it's not like you kind of just do your upload on your system and then boom, it's there. It doesn't work that simply. This transformation, it happens through life-to-life discipleship about people walking with one another and about people really sharing the stories of faith they've experienced. Sharing it and lifting up the person that is in all of those stories, which is Jesus Christ. That leads us to the grace that's not just signaled in this text, what's signaled in all of scripture, and it's that grace is among us. God enters into our stories through Jesus, directing us to share his love with one another for our good and his glory. And as Jesus is the grace in all of our stories, I have a few verses I wanted to share from the New Testament. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and he gave himself up for me. God gave himself up for you, that you would belong and live in step with Christ Romans 8.10 also says this, but if Christ is in you, which Christ is in us, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life. 
The Spirit gives life. The Spirit breathes life into you because of righteousness. The righteousness of Christ, but also the righteousness being brought about in your life to bring you in right relationship with him. And the grace in this message is not just that maybe we could have, we can and should have better specific families as part of this community that actually talk about the gospel, talk about the good news in more and more ways, but that we can be a community that shares our stories with one another. All around the room, take just a moment. Just glance around the room. You don't have to stare at anyone. Just, just, look, just, just pan the room. Look behind you. This is a beautiful room of diversity. This is a beautiful room of diversity. You know, some of us came to be part of this church as complete strangers, and yet you found a home. Some of you probably haven't quite found the home, but are praying and hoping, and we're journeying together to try to find a way to make that a reality. In this room, you have parents. You have grandparents. There's even great-grandparents. There are children. There are teens. There are young adults. And there's so many people that don't even, I did not even describe by saying all those things. Because the reality is, this is a beautiful, diverse family of God. And we have to care for this family. We have to be good stewards in this family of the stories that have happened in our life. I look at this back example. This back example, I read almost every card I could. If I miss one, I miss one. But just the wealth of faith in this community where you have chosen to follow Jesus and in difficult times, very difficult times, And those are stories that are not just for you. You need to hold on to those. But those are stories that others in this room need to. We need to share our stories and find ways to share our stories. You need to be intentional in the day-to-day spaces with whether you're with family or friends telling your story because many people around you just might not know. They might not know how you have been shaped by God's love and they need to know. And then we also have to be intentional to tell our stories in a space like this, where many of us might not know a lot of details about someone's life and would be incredibly blessed if we did. You have to commit to share and the vulnerability in sharing, which can be scary. And you also have to be willing to listen. People don't talk if you're not willing to listen. How much are you ready to hear someone's story? God wants to use these stories to make his love known among every generation in his church. The grace among us is that, trust me, God is active. Jesus is active in our lives. If we seek him, we will find him. If we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. And these are all the ways that we should praise God. But the temptation is this, and I've already alluded to it. The temptation is that, oh, we just, you know, are are people who have been following God for a lot longer than perhaps people that have been following God less, are the main people that need to deposit the stories. You have more stories, you have more things to share. And I would suggest it's both ways. I would suggest it's both ways. That if you have walked a long life of following Jesus, you have a lot that I actually want to learn from. You have a lot that your neighbor needs to learn from. But also I would say that even people like a bunch of college students on a campus, chapel service, seeking Jesus, they have some things to share to each of us too. The young adults, our teens, our children have things to teach us about Jesus too. 
And our vision is to create a community where we actually share these stories together intentionally because God empowers that storytelling in both ways. I'm not going to spend too much time on it, but if you think about the ages of so many people in the Bible, so many of the people God chooses to use for his glory and purposes are young. So many. Uh, Joseph, abandoned by his family when he was really young, grows to become the second in command in Egypt. Ruth, who was a widow in her 20s. David, a young shepherd boy anointed as king. Daniel, when all of God's people were exiled, was a teenager probably. And yet in that home, in, in Babylon, he became a huge witness for what costly discipleship and witness looks like in a secular space. There are several prophets, a lot of prophets, but I, I looked up Jeremiah and Elisha, prophets who the word of the Lord came to them when they were young. And then, and I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but think about how old the disciples were when Jesus called them. Were they kind of on the cusp of retirement? Were they busy in their careers with kids in their 40s and 50s? They were probably younger men. Late teens, 20s, scholarship kind of differs a little bit about that. But they were young, and yet that is the people, that is the group that Jesus used and called to build his church upon, especially at Pentecost. The faithful witness of young leaders sold out to Jesus. So, to kind of wrap up a little bit, some of us this morning probably do need to talk more about Jesus at home. Talk about it with, if you're married with your partner, if you're, you have kids in your home or other roommates, to talk more about your faith at home. But for all of us, and that's the beauty of God's family, we have a lot more to talk about together. We should find space and ways to talk about Jesus together. And we should engage not just in the telling, but in the listening and in the learning. I was thinking about my own story. I'm talking about storytelling, and I should share a little bit of my own story. But I think for myself, I look back to the past few years, and by God's grace, I don't know how I got here. You know, God has been so favorable to me in a personal way, into my whole family, into Christy and my kids, where I, I look back at how I grew up. My parents were involved in ministry. It was going, it seemed like it was going good, but then I look back and I thought, wow, that was really chaotic. We moved around so much. And then I saw in my immediate family, wow, what does it look like when your parents become sick? Or when you have family members pull away from your family? What does it look like for them to come back? You start to look at these stories and realize that following Jesus is oftentimes really hard. And yet it's also really good. It's really good. And, and I look at how I've been forged, not just by me, my immediate family, but my spiritual family. The churches that God has gifted me to be a part of because I've learned so much from the people I've walked alongside of what it looks like to embrace people I have no connection with. I don't have any family ties to, but we happen to be rescued by the same person. And what does it look like to build a church family up from the ground? I've been a part of several church plants. What does it look like to build a church up from the ground? And what does it look like to care for a community in crisis? How do you care for people and individuals going through grief and suffering? And these are the truths where God makes his love known to us, that he's telling a better story. Our stories have points of significant tension. Like I remember as a young single guy, I I remember having to tell God I was okay if I never got married. 
As a young single guy, I remembered I had to be okay telling God that I might never have kids. Because what God ultimately has invited me to is more than just those desires which quickly become earthly desires. God's called me to be with him and be with his family. I wanna do everything I can to be part of that family because there are other things that happen around my desires that can distort and distract me from the story of love that God's telling. You need to know where those danger points are for you. What are the danger points that could cause you to be distracted from the story God wants to tell us in your life? Or how is other dangers trying to distort that story for you? I'm gonna invite our worship team to come up. We're gonna respond and worship in a little bit here. What I wanted to say is this, that if, if you are a younger person in the story, just take the generalization. It's hard to categorize it. If you're a younger person and you haven't shared your faith, I would encourage you to. It could look like a lot of different ways. It could look like doing it with a good friend, another person you just met at church you don't know that well. I even think about the tradition in our church of profession of faith and how over the past few years we really haven't had that much of that. It's, intim- it's intimidating. It's scary to think about being in front of your church. But I would tell each of you, your story matters and it should be told in the church because God has moved in your life in such a way that he does want you to share it. He does want you to share it. It's not optional. I would also say if you're an adult, all ages, all ages, I want you to think about what's going on in your story and go back to what are the memories and convictions, the important points, because they connect to who you become tomorrow. And I would encourage you to share your story. Commit to share it. Commit to listen and learn from it. Your story might, as you retell it and listen to others, change because God is deepening your heart for more. The Asbury revival happening this past week and a half is all around sincere, perfect love of God. That pastor in that chapel service, what he says repeatedly is something that Jesus says in the Gospels. He he asked the people in the room, do you love me? Do you love me? Not me, not him. His name's, I think, Zach. Do you love God? Do you desire to be actually completely (laughs) met with the love of God? Because all of us have experienced horrible ways of love, imperfect, abusive, painful ways of love. And God wants us to experience his love. Do you love him? Do you want to follow him? And as you enter into that, you'll find your story picks up. Your story picks up. You realize that, wow, there's a lot more going on here. (laughs) A lot more going on here. And as I close, I'll pray what he prayed as well. Because towards the end of this time, looking at this section of Romans 12, he prays this, revive us by your love. So let's go to the Lord and pray for that right now. Lord, I pray you would wake us up to your love this morning. I pray, Father, that you would make yourself known in deep and personal ways to each person, the way each person thinks in this room, each person feels in this room, that you would make your love known to them. And we pray that you would revive us because we're dead in our sin. We're dead in our trespasses. I pray you would revive us by your love. 
you would renew us to love, not just you, the way you deserve, the way you deserve all of us, all of our hearts, all of our mind, all of our strength, because you deserve that and we don't give it to you. But also the way that you call us to love you and to love the people around us. And it should not stop. I pray, Lord, you would give us boldness to be a kind of community that shares openly and listens well. I pray, Lord, we'd be shaped in those moments where our weaknesses show (laughs) phrase at the end. I pray you would help us to trust you in those moments when we don't quite know what to do because your love is leading us and your love ultimately heals us. So I pray right now you would, you would put the right people in each person's mind here for who they need to talk to, who they need to share, who they need to have a committed discipleship relationship with, who they need to learn from, who they need to listen to. Because Holy Spirit, you, you can and do make those things happen. Lord, we, uh, we want to proclaim your name and your good news today. So, Lord, lead us as we sing and respond to this, but empower us after this, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.